Welcome, I'm Anastasia Glova bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Full and edited versions of our podcasts are available on our website at www.cato.org. British Petroleum is shutting down the nation's largest oil field in Prudhoe Bay, Alaska, after discovering 16 miles of corroded pipeline. As oil prices jump during peak driving season, the U.S. Department of Energy promises to tap into its emergency oil reserves to ease prices at the pump. Cato Senior Fellow and Editor of Regulation Magazine Peter Van Doren offers an analysis of the situation in today's podcast. How much domestic production is lost due to the shutdown of the Prudhoe Bay pipeline? The worst-case estimates are that 400,000 barrels a day are lost, although, as we are finding out today, there may be some alternative feeder network systems that mean that the entire oil field is not shut down, in which case it won't be 400,000 barrels a day. It'll be something less than that. 400,000 barrels a day is about 0.5% of world supply. World output is now about 73.6 million barrels a day. The loss of a half a percent of world supply should increase prices by something on the order of 10 times that. So 10 times a half a percent is 5%. And 5% on top of a current price of $75 a barrel is something on the order of $4 a barrel, which if you divide it by 42 gallons in a barrel, you've got something between 9 and 10 cents a gallon would be the predicted market price increase for a permanent loss of this amount of supply over the next few months. The only thing that mitigates my estimates is that we are currently in a good inventory situation in the United States. We have about 8% above normal crude inventory, which means that owners of inventory can decide to continue building inventory in which case my estimates would be correct, or they can draw down inventory and hope that another bad shock doesn't happen a few months from now, for example, a hurricane that knocks out more supply. So depending on people's guesses and expectations about what the appropriate course of action is, we may see a drawdown of inventory, in which case the price impact will not be as great as I predicted, or if people actually hoard more now thinking that we're about to enter the fall and hurricanes may hit and the Gulf may get wiped out again or something, then you actually see might see not only prices rising, but inventories increasing at the same time. Now, I looked at the futures price data on NYMEX today, and those prices indicate that the market thinks that the price of oil in the future will be greater than it is today. In which case, if you own crude now, your incentive is not to sell it, not to allow it to be drawn down. Instead, you'll hoard it because the futures market is signaling to you the oil will be worth more in the future than it is now. Given that, I expect this shock in the Alaska slope to have a rather negative effect on oil prices. But, as with everything economists say, I might be totally wrong because the market may not react in the way that I'm predicting. Should the U.S. respond by opening its emergency reserves? Um, The Cato view on the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is that we don't like that question in, in the following sense. We wish that the reserve were not under political control. The political control itself creates uncertainty. That uncertainty actually is already built into future prices. And so under private hands, markets would be much more certain of what inventory would do given the future price situation that I described and the spot price situation that I described. But once you add political control of the reserve, the uncertainty among investors actually is heightened. And so it's not actually the right question to ask of whether we will or will not or should or should not tap into the reserve. 
Jerry Taylor and I have written uh, quite extensively that we're actually against this whole system and that the political control of the reserve is the problem. Now, if the reserve is tapped into, but market expectations are not changed about the future, all we will have done is gone from public ownership of inventory to private ownership of inventory, and the price won't change. So the, the only way that tapping into inventory can affect prices is to change the market's expectations about future supply availability. But there's a lot of concern that with the instability in the Middle East and the oil leak in Prudhoe Bay, we have a very grave situation on our hands. We're certainly getting into the unpleasant range in which we have the Nigerian oil shock and the Iraqi loss of production are again in this half a percent of world output range. So a half a percent plus a half a percent plus a half a percent is one and a half percent, and that you know, again, multiply up an estimated price effect 10 times that. So a 1.5% reduction in world supply has an 11% increase in price. And given $75 a barrel, that's something on the order of $8 a barrel, which would mean 20 cents a gallon on the gasoline. So all these things matter, but we've already gone through 75 cent increase, right, this year relative to last year. So the kinds of increases we're facing from these smaller shocks are nowhere near that order of magnitude. So I rank this in the order of unpleasantness, but not uh, worry. The Iranian-Iraq war in the early 1980s had a much larger reduction in world supply, and the price effect then was uh, a near doubling, probably more than a doubling of world prices at that time. So from something on the order of 15 or $16 a barrel in 1980. They went to $33 a barrel in March of 1981, which in today's dollars would still would be $85, $86 a barrel. So we're, we're not even near the world record of, of oil prices in, in inflation-adjusted dollars. And given that our incomes are probably 30% greater than they were back then, in some sense, what we went through in the 79, 80, and 81 period uh, was much worse than what we're going through now. One reason, though, it may seem much worse is because the cheapest oil and the cheapest gasoline we had in inflation-adjusted terms since World War II was in 1998, and that's not that long ago, and people remember that, and they bought their houses based on those expectations, they bought their cars based on those expectations, and those expectations have turned out to be wrong. And so we're, we're back where we were in price terms near the early 1980s, even though the, our incomes are higher. And people were used to late 90s prices, which were much lower than in the early 80s, and those prices have not continued, and that's unpleasant. Given the world situation and the fact that companies are likely to hoard their oil due to the futures prices, won't this result in shortages? Shortages only result from prices not being allowed to adjust. Luckily, we don't have price controls like we did in the uh, 1972 to 1981 period, and in effect, the, the the bad news from a public's point of view is also the good news. That is, we have not had shortages this year in part, in large part, because the prices have been allowed to adjust. And you say, well, has anyone changed their demand because of that price increase? Absolutely. Normally, gasoline demand would rise somewhere in the order of 1% to 1.5% per year if prices remain constant. The fact that prices have risen by more than a third has dampened demand, and their people have changed their behavior. They've stopped taking all those extra trips. And gasoline demand in the United States now is not rising nearly as fast as it was prior to this price increase. So 
The price increase is both the problem and the good news. It has kept demand in check. It has also created incentives to increase supply. And we're importing a lot from Europe right now, and that's kept supply and demand in balance, and there are no shortages. So there cannot be shortages if prices are allowed to adjust. This has been Cato Daily Podcast. Thank you for listening.